This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Every job is completely unique. It's just, it's incredible. And you're like, and you're in the middle of the job and you're like, really? Like, you know, really? Like, I got to deal with this now? Like, couldn't it just be a normal job? Like, when am I going to get an, when am I going to get an easy job? Hi, and welcome to Ian Weekly, your emergency management podcast. And this is your host, Todd DeVoe. This week, we are talking to Kelly McKinney about his book, The Moment of Truth. This month, Kelly gave us a few signed copies of the Moment of Truth away to our listeners. So congratulations to all those who won. If you want to know who won, go to our Facebook page and you'll see the list of names. If you have not read the Moment of Truth, it's time to get your copy. Now, you might not have been able to win one, but you can find it at your favorite bookseller. Now on to the interview. Hey, Kelly, welcome to Ian Weekly. How are you doing today? I'm great, Todd. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We're here to talk to you, not just about your emergency management experience, which I want to get into, but also about your book. So, but first let's start about you. How did you get into emergency management? Well, I love to, uh, I love this question. Love to, to uh, talk about myself. So, and I appreciate you asking me to come on your show, Todd. And, um, you know, I think this is one of the, you know, the most important shows around because, um, you know, we're, we're, we're using it to really create a culture in emergency management. So I, I appreciate you, you asking me on. And, and um, so for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a Midwest boy. I, I got an engineering degree at the University of Kansas way back in the day. I got out of school and there weren't a lot of mechanical engineering jobs. So I, I went to work with uh, this guy that was in the, in the town I went to school in. He was doing environmental engineering and um, a lot of uh, what's called industrial hygiene, occupational health and safety. So it's, you know, it's best with lead and silica and hazardous waste and things like that. And I, I did that for about 15 years and um, uh, I traveled as an engineering consultant. I lived in Hawaii for a year uh, and then I moved to New York and, and I was in New York for, um, I've, been, I've been in New York for um, 29 years. Um, and, you know, working, I was working in engineering consulting and I went uh, to uh, a job interview for, uh, the New York city health department. And I ended up getting a job there as the associate commissioner for environmental health. So I was, uh, if you, if you know, and I know you guys do, and, and your listeners know, uh, local health departments, they do a million things. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, but, but in general, health departments um, are sort of, um, you know, they're, they're, they're siloed and, and there's a big human disease silo. There's a, there's a human infectious disease silo. And my, my silo was sort of the everything else silo, which was, you know, we did, we, we, we inspected all the restaurants in the city of New York. We had an office of radiological health where we inspected uh, radiological sources at dentist offices and places like that. And we, we have, we had an office of, of uh, vector and pest control. 
anyway, I was, I was, uh, I was going to my office uh, on a beautiful, sunny, blue Tuesday morning in September of 2001. And um, coming out of the subway, uh, uh, I was a block and a half north of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. And, and uh, uh, you know, I came, out of this, I came out on the street and the cars were stopped in the middle of the street and the doors were open and people were standing in the middle of the street and everybody was staring into the sky. It was the most surreal scene um, of my, of my, uh, that I ever remember. And so of course I looked up to, and there was a, this massive black gash across the, uh, near to the top of the North Tower of the World Trade Center. I mean, it was about the 90th floor. So it was, it was literally, you know, it seemed like it was a quarter mile in the sky. So you had to, you had to crane your neck all the way back, but it was massive, right? It was just a block and a half north. And I turned to the guy next to me and I said, you know, what the hell, you know, is that? And he said, you know, a plane hit it. So the, the first plane had just struck the, the North Tower and it wasn't even really, flames weren't even coming out yet. It was burning inside, obviously. But anyway, so um, that was a, a, uh, a long day. Um, I went back yeah. to the office. We did a lot of work um, in and around Ground Zero, but I ended up going to the Emergency Operations Center, the New York City Emergency Operations Center, the next morning, 5 a.m. And I spent about um, 10 weeks there. So I've been really an emergency manager ever since that day. And I eventually found my way to OEM, you know, because I'd worked with them on 9-11 and I, and I, and I knew a lot of those folks and I, and I got to know the processes and the, um, you know, and the players. And so when, when a deputy commissioner position came open, you know, I, I, uh, I applied for it and eventually got it. And I spent almost eight years there. And so, you know, it's just been a busy it's been a busy 18 years of disasters in New York city. And that's, that's sort of my story. Wow. That's a, that's definitely a powerful story for sure. You know, it's interesting about just kind of personal experience with me on, on 11. Um, I, I turned the radio on like I normally do on my way into to work. I was working as a paramedic in LA and uh, the news of a plane hit in the twin towers or one of the towers came across. And I originally just thought, Oh, okay. It was a Cessna because every once in a while it was happening. Right. I was like, okay, no big deal. And then, uh, then it ended up being like one of the longest days of, of our, of our careers. Right. Yeah. So funny. Cause I, I, you know, on the other side of the continent, you know, I had the, the exact same thought, you know, I thought, well, it was a, it's a small plane, you know, it's, it, it was an accident. You know, we, we, we try to explain these things away in our heads and, and um, it, you know, you know, you and I had, had the same thought, right. Because we, we, we couldn't imagine, the enormity of what it actually was. It took, a, it took a while for that to sink in. But, but, and we do that a lot of times with, with big disasters. We don't believe our eyes initially. We think, we think we're imagining it or we think, or we try to explain it away in, in weird ways. And, um, and that's one of the, you know, the premises of my book is that, is that oftentimes it'll be right in front of you and, and you won't see it, right? You'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll deny that the disaster is there. It's, it's one of the traits of, of big, big disasters well yeah i mean it's the normalcy bias right um i mean right i i, I, res I responded to an active shooter and when the calls first came out um as shots fired i, I originally just thought oh somebody doing fireworks or doing a prank or something like that you know i didn't go into the fact and then it wasn't until we heard multiple reports of the shots fired that we go oh crap this is a real deal and we went into response mode 
you know, um, but it's, I think everybody gets to do that. Yeah, I've, I've um, you know, I've talked to a couple of different police officers who um, say, you know, they, you know, from the first day in the academy, they trained for being involved in a shooting, right? And, and a couple of different um, cops told me that, that uh, you know, they trained for it. Uh, they're, they're always thinking about it. And in both of these uh, instances, in their first experience, they, they said to themselves, oh, it must be a movie shoot. Oh, it must be fireworks. Oh, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, their, their, their mind says, no dummy, you know, <laughs> this is it. This is the thing that you knew was eventually going to happen. And then, they, then, then, like you said, they, they, they snap into response mode. I, uh, I train about this and we talk about the idea of uh, Boyd's OODA loop and, and being able to, the difference between somebody who's trained and somebody who isn't is that they're able to snap out of that and get into that or to, into the OODA loop faster uh, than the others. But, and it kind of, this brings us back to, to your book. So you wrote a book uh, called the moment of truth, um, the nature of catastrophe and how to prepare for them. And what I found really interesting about this book is that the way you put the stories together that you could hand this book to somebody who is not an emergency manager, never has been involved in this job before, and they'll understand it because a story with lessons. Tell me about your book, how you got to this concept and, and the process that you chose. Yeah. And, and you put your finger on, I mean, that that's, so, so I've, you know, when you're, when you're in the business, as long as, uh, as, as you and I've been, you know, you, you, you know, you sit in a lot of rooms and you, and you have a lot of meetings and you, and you talk a lot. I mean, we used to say uh, OEM stood for the office of endless meetings, you know, and, and, uh, and so for, from very early on, I, I had wanted to really document what I think is um, some key concepts and insights that we learned in New York um, instead of just talking about them, right? Because I think talking is sometimes it's just wasted effort, right? So, so eventually you got to write it down. So, so um, but I, I, I've been really writing that book for, for, for 10 years and I got really lucky. A friend of mine knew an agent, a book agent, and she was uh, just amazing. She knew nothing about emergency management, but um, you know, she, she is amazing. Anyway, she not was amazing, but, but she, you know, I would send her manuscripts and she, and, and she would say, you know, not for nothing, but this is the most boring crap I ever read. Right. And she kept saying, you know, you got to tell stories, you got to tell a story. And so I ended up just, just doing what, what you mentioned, which is trying to wrap, um, you know, these insights uh, or these concepts, trying to wrap stories around them. And it's sort of like, you know, they're the medicine and the stories are like the sugar that helps it go down. Right. And, and um, you know, and so, so because people will read stories and, and she's, you know, she, her, her feedback to me was, you know, it's, it's, it reads like a white paper and, and nobody, you know, uh, my, my son always says to me, you know, um, TLDR, right. You know what TLDR is? I don't. What's TLDR? Too long, didn't read, right. Too long, didn't read. And, and, and so there's <laughs> everything is too long, didn't read. And, and so, but if it's a story, you got a better shot. And, and, uh, you know, uh, um, it, it's not like this thing's any kind of like you know, bestseller, but um, a few folks have read it. And um, to me, I just, you know, uh, any emergency manager that has read it and, and we have a conversation is just, it's just greatest thrill uh, of my career. I just, I just so, um, you know, grateful for it. And, but what I find is 
that uh, I find this really deep, uh, broad areas of agreement because we all are facing these same challenges and we all understand the problems and, and, and where the solutions lie. And not just, you know, not just in New York and not just in the United States, but, you know, uh, I'm, uh, this book is going to be serialized in Japan because they're like, man, this, is, this rings true to me. I, uh, I'm talking to uh, Ottawa Emergency Management and um, these guys are, you know, they, they, they do the same things that we do in the same ways. And uh, I'm going to Australia in, in, uh, in the end of May. Um, so this is, you know, this, this, we're, we're an immature uh, industry in so many ways. But I feel this maturity happening. I feel this professionalism happening. And, and, I, and, and so I think, you know, shows like this, you know, the, you know EM Weekly is critical to that. And, and people, you know, books are critical to that and, 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 and peer written journals because that's how you professionalize is you get everybody on the same page. And so I tell people, you know, you, your book is inside you too, right? And uh, because, because, you know, Todd, you, you've been in this business a long time, you know, you've got a book or two inside you and, and, and almost everybody does. It's just a matter of, you know, sitting down and writing and, and, uh, but you know, it, that's a, and you know, that's a commitment. It's a time commitment to, to do that. That's so true. Yeah, no, thank you for writing this though. First, I wanted to say that. And, and going through the book, the kind of cool, and, and I read a lot. And one of the things that we do here at Ian Weekly, and, and you know this, is that um, we ask people to guests, what book, book, or, or uh, publications do you recommend uh, for somebody in emergency management? And your book did come up a few times from different uh, guests talking about what, who, who should read. And, but what I love about the book is that you also reference other current writings, um, like The Black Swan uh, by Talib, who is a great book. If you haven't read that book, if anybody's out there, should, that should be one of them that you do read. Um, and some of the stuff that you go into, it sounds like a lot of um, um, the way like Malcolm Gladwell would, would, would really present some stuff. So the reason why I'm telling everybody this is because when you read it, it's intriguing it's engaging. It's not your typical book that you read and you kind of go, okay, yeah, I got this and this is text. It's really, it really is a lot of fun. And I recommend it too. Anybody out there who's looking for a gift to, to give to someone, this would be one to get, especially if, even if they're not emergency manager, I should say, especially if they're not emergency managers, because this really tells you why you need to be prepared. But you start off with like, what? I think it's like four or five different stories in here. And at the end of it, there's a bunch of resources on where you did your research. How long did your research take you uh, to, to write this book? You know, um, so for me, I um, have been gathering research for this book since um, about 2003. And um, every article, every peer-reviewed or non-peer-reviewed paper on emergency management that I read that I think is, has a solid point I, I just stash it into a folder and um, it's actually the name of the folder is flawed, right? And cause the book originally was going to be called flawed, you know, F L A W E D flawed because of that was the sort of the, the picture I wanted to paint about our, our sort of national um, disaster system, which is, a, you know, the premise of the book, right? Which is we need to get everybody in, in, in on the same page. And, and so I've thrown everything into, into the flawed folder for, 
for uh, 15 years. And so the research was really there. And, um, and it was really about which of the pieces I wanted to, to, to pick out and, and, and sort of um, dive into. And, and like you said, Todd, I mean, um, you know, I think if you're an emergency manager, um, you know, Talib's books, especially Black Swan, I mean, they're pretty, for me, they're pretty essential reading because, you know, it really, it really um, uh, is the point to me, which is that, you know, those uh, really big, large scale, widespread, catastrophic disasters um, are lurking out there just, you know, just across the, the, the veil and, and we're just oblivious to them, right? And so that, it, it really is a piece of insight that, um, is, you know, I think important for emergency managers because, because you know, the, the fact is, is that everybody walks around oblivious to them and that's fine because, you know, they have their lives and, you know, if you wandered around worried about the next catastrophe, you know, you, you wouldn't leave the house, right? So, but we're, we get paid to worry about it. So th this is the right. point. If, if you're not a professional worrier, you know, you got to wonder whether this is actually the right business for you. If you're an optimist and you think that, you know, bad things aren't going to happen and every, every time you see a potential disaster, you, you try to explain it away, you know, eventually I think you're, you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to have some regrets in the, in the business, right? <laughs> you got to be, you got to be an absolute paranoid about these things and you've got to run at every potential disaster and just, you know, make darn sure that it's not going to grow into you know, that job that's going to overtake you. So, um, well, when I was in, uh, in, in college and undergrad, I had a professor, a philosophy professor. I took two or three of his classes. Awesome. And he's a sailor as, as well. And he always said that as a sailor, you have to be a optimistic pessimist. What that means is you go out hoping for the blue sky day. That's going to be beautiful. You're going to have a great time. And, but you're preparing for that squall to come across the, the the horizon and that your your ship is ready to go and that it's not going to fall apart as you're going into it because if you go into the ocean just being a complete optimist those are the people who end up getting killed and i take that same philosophy into the world of emergency management that i always look for the ways to prepare things because i want it to be a blue sky day and uh, i think some of the stuff you talk about in the book really kind of reflects that, that philosophy as well you know, and, and I tell you, you know, you know, you know why uh, sailors are such a good example, Todd, because, you know, they, they are the, you know, we, we should almost, um, you know, we should almost have a, um, you know, I'm thinking of one of those inspirational posters and, and with the sailor on it. But the, the thing about the thing about sailors is, right, if, you know, if you're if you're a three hour sail from shore in a boat. And, and, and you got a problem, you know, uh, there's not a lot of mutual aid that's, that's, that's within, you know, arm's reach. You know, you're, you're on your own. You, 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 you have to be self-reliant to a degree that, that, you know, people who live on land don't, don't really understand. And especially those, those uh, uh, you know, especially sort of like navies and things like that, where they, they, they don't hug the shore in their sailboats, you know, they go, they go way out into the middle of nowhere. And, and so, you know, you, you, that forces you, that forces you to, to, to make sure that a, that, that you, you're as prepared as you can be, that everything is ship shape, that everything works, 
right? And, and you know, and the same same way with uh, pilots, right? That's what you know. Anybody, that's in, if you've been in a cockpit of a plane and you look at a pilot, they've got those little uh, plastic sort of check uh, checkbox tools, and they check this and they check that. And I mean, they they don't just you know. Most of us when we check stuff. We, we sit in a chair and we imagine that we checked it. We fool ourselves that we checked it. I mean, on a, a pilot on a plane, you know, they step out of the cockpit and they, they look at the rudder and they, you know, they move it back and forth, you know. I mean, they, because if it doesn't work, you know, they're going down. And so that, that, that's a, those are clarifying imperatives that, you know, emergency managers need to emulate because, because in, in essence, you know, we're responsible to do that for whatever organizations we work for, right? And if I'm, an, if I'm a local emergency manager, I need to do that checklist for my county or my city. Or if, if I'm, you know, if I'm a hospital emergency manager, I need to do that for my hospital because, because you know, I, um, you know, I, I own it. Yeah, you're so right. You know, thinking about the checklist, you're talking about that with Sully um, and his uh, landing the airplane on the Hudson River. Um, I would love to hear his story because he talks about the fact that him and his crew did not, or I should say he and his crew did not panic at all because they went through this practice all the time and they just went through the checklist. And, and then they said, okay, yep, we're not going to be able to make it. We're going to put it in the drink, you know, called it in. So this is what we're doing. And I don't think he ever uh, worried about, you know, not making that, that landing, you know? Yeah, and he's you know he's he's uh, he's a, a national hero uh, deservedly, right? You know, uh, for me, you know, just to just to tell a war story. So I was I was at OEM, on, uh, uh, you know, when uh, fifteen ninety four went down, and, and and it was a it was a cold day. It was it was actually a January day. I think it was. Um, hey, let's just take about uh, sixty seconds here and listen to our sponsors. Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation. We believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive. I know that choosing what conference to attend can be hard. There's so many of them out there, right? Well, I think that if you miss the EMLC, that's the Emergency Management Leaders Conference, you're going to uh, just kind of be a tad bummed out. This event is great because it's only two days. It's May 29th and the 30th. It's in one room. You have access to the speakers and to the special guests, and it's second to none. You know, it's one of those things where you get to actually engage with people, and it's small enough to where... You can't really hide. So join me at the EMLC, the Emergency Management Leaders Conference in Phoenix, Arizona on May 29th and 30th. So for more details, go to emlc.us and register today. Hey, welcome back from listening to the sponsors really quick. Without them, we couldn't do what we're doing here. So please reach out to them. Tell them that Ian Weekly sent you. Now back to the interview. Uh, for me, you know, just to just to tell a war story. So I was I was at OEM, on, uh, uh, you know, when uh, fifteen ninety four went down, and and it was a it was a cold day. It was it was actually a January day. I think it was um, ten years ago exactly. Something and, like that. Yeah. yeah. 
10 years ago last week and you know where we're, i was in the office and uh it was about three o'clock in the afternoon and all of a sudden i just my my antenna went up i i all of a sudden i started i had this this uh I, I, everything became very clear i could hear you know you could hear a pin drop and and uh and i think it was because it, I, there was these unusual things going on like doors slamming and, and and cars screeching out of the parking lot and, and what happened what happened was is that our watch command saw it and 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 all of our field folks just ran out to the job which was across um you know across the the east river in the, on the hudson and so i went upstairs because you know we have a big situation room and it's and it's got a uh, video wall and so you know I, I i said to myself something's something's up i walked into the sit room and um we had our duty team was, was all in the sit room and they were talking about a, a big winter storm that was coming and they had the weather service on a conference call and they're all kind of hunkered down looking at the table. And on the video wall was this massive uh, uh, news shot of, you know, of, that, uh, of that Airbus in the water in the Hudson River. And I, and I looked at it and I did another one of those things. I'm like, please, you know, that's, that's not, where is that? That's not here. And it was like, you know, it was like, you know, U.S. airplane down in the Hudson River. And I read the, the text, you know, and it's still not registering. I'm just, you know, it's just one of those things where you're like, here's the job. And um, so we, we really worked that job. It, it, everything got really, you know, frantic very quickly because we thought, you know, 200, 300 people are, are drowned in the Hudson River. And so we worked it. But within, within you know, a few minutes, we started to um, see what was happening and, and the, the passengers on the wings and stuff. So it actually started to get fun. And so, so then, you know, we're working with the hall, we're working with city hall and, and we said, you know, everybody got off the plane and the, the word came back from city hall, you know, are you sure, you know, do you know everybody got the plane? So, so then it became get the manifest and, you know, make positive contact with everybody on that manifest. <laughs> so that became the job after a while tracking everybody down and we were working uh, with uh, you know the, those ferries were going back to New Jersey and they were coming to New York and fortunately we had a lot of good contacts on the New Jersey side with the New Jersey State Police and we were able to, to, to work that manifest on both sides so it was, it was an interesting job. That is one thing about emergency management that I love is that we get involved in some weird stuff and it's never going to be the same no matter how many times you run it. It's always different. And that's the best part about this job. But we have to be on our toes all the time for, for events like this. I, I should just tattoo it on my forearm, right? Every job is completely unique. It's just, it's incredible. And you're like, and you're in the middle of the job and you're like, really? Like, you know, really? Like, I got to deal with this now? Like, couldn't it just be a normal job? Like, when am I going to get an, when am I going to get an easy job? Like, you know, never. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that is so, that's so true. There's never, never an easy job, right? Yeah, um, but by the way, for those of you that aren't from the East Coast, and this is what I love about talking to my friends from the East Coast is that we get in the same lingo. When, we, when uh, we talk about a job, basically it's the same thing as a call, right? On the West Coast, we call them calls, but it's uh, the same concept. Um, <laughs> you know, so going through your book, it's crazy that I, as I'm going through this and I, and I, and I read the book, um, I, I highlighted, underlined, and wrote in the margins on, on a lot of this stuff because there are so many lessons that you put in to the stories here. Um, not just the story part of it, but the, the actual aspect of it. And so you chose um, 
the events that you went over. And, and so why 9-11 makes sense. Um, and then you did the active shooter, did a couple of things. Why did you choose what stories you wanted to tell in the book? For me, it had to do with the concept um, that, that I wanted to sort of highlight. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an engineer. I'm an, I'm an emergency manager. I'm not a, I'm not a writer. Um, and I appreciate, you know, Todd, your, your, uh, you know, your, your comment, your feedback on it. And, but like when I first hit send on, I, I hit send on the final manuscript. You know, if, if, when you write a book, you go back and forth, I mean, hundred times uh, with your editor and there's dozens of drafts, you know, and I'm, and I'm sort of a perfectionist. So I, I rewrote and I rewrote and I rewrote and I hit send on it. And then, you know, as soon as I hit send, you know, I read an amazing book that was written by not a emergency manager, but by a, by a writer, it's Sherry Fink, and I should have the title, but it was, I think it's called uh, Five Days at... Um, five Days at Memorial. Five Days at Memorial, yeah. And, 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 you know, that book is such a powerful book. I read it, and, and I regret reading it because, you know, I'm just like, every, every sentence was like, you know, just another uh, whack in the head about how much better of a writer she is than I am. But, um, but you know, for me, it was about the concept. So um, if, if there's one chapter that I like in, in, in my book, it's, uh, you know, it's Invisible Impacts. And, it, and there's two stories in that, in, that in that chapter. And the first one is, um, is the uh, East Harlem gas explosion that happened in 2013. And then the next one, the next story is the East Village gas explosion that happened in 2014. So uh, East Harlem, it's, uh, it was 125th and Park Avenue and, uh, you know, buildup of gas in a, in a residential building and massive explosion. Uh, maybe folks remember it. There were eight people killed and 100 families displaced. And I was at the Red Cross and we ran up there and it was just a very intense uh, job for us because, you know, we, we, were on a, we were on a conference call with, this, with the New York City OEM and they're like, hey, you know, let's think about a reception center. We're like, think about a reception center. You know, <laughs> there's, there are people walking the streets right now that, that, that need to be in a reception. Center. So they mentioned a, a, a school. They just mentioned it offhand. They said, we're going to look at this school. We ran right to that school, talked to the principal. Um, and next thing you know, the family's just pouring in and, and, and it, the, the gym just filled up. We had politicians there. There was media. Um, and it was just the most intense sort of 12 hours of my career. Just amazing uh, experience. And then we put them all, we put all the folks that needed shelter in, in, a, in a big shelter um, and, you know, in partnership with Salvation Army and uh, great job, um, you know, and, and, and so, uh, and then a year, almost exactly a year later, same thing happened. This time it was in the East Village, which is about uh, six miles due south of there. Um, same job, you know, same uh, number of, of families affected, you know, gas fed fire, building collapse. And yet in the East Village, which is a very different neighborhood, um, you know, we, we set up the reception center. We had, we had 40 volunteers. We had everything ready and nobody came, right? And so, and that has to do with the, the neighborhood, the nature of the neighborhood, the nature of the, of the people that are in the neighborhood. And so, you know, the concept really was, you know, we talk about, you know, the underprivileged and having to, having to include them, incorporate them in, in our planning. And, you know, the, and, and the lesson for me was, 
you know, you don't incorporate them in, in your planning. You know, they are your plan, right? Th- those are your clients. Those are the people that need help. And so it has to be, you know, the core focus. And, um, and so it, it just somehow I got really lucky, you know, because I was the Red Cross three years and we had, we had, we had uh, several sort of, you know, major incidents. But those two were such, were such an easy parallel, you know, and, and they fit together and they, 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 they were able to really highlight that issue. And, and, and amazingly enough, um, you know, I'm on the board for the High School for Emergency Management here in New York City. It's, uh, it's a great school. It's four years old. So they're going to graduate. The freshman class that, is, that went in four years ago is going to graduate this year. And, um, and so that chapter is actually required reading one of the classes. I'm going to go there next week and we're going to talk about it and things like that. So, you know, it's just really, really a cool experience for me to, to be able to share that kind of stuff. I just uh, started this new uh, semester with my students um, at the master's program at uh, Cal State Fullerton. And uh, I was talking about specifically about policy the other day. And I mentioned how we need to integrate our plans with working with the disabled population. And one of the things I really stressed to them was it's not just us writing a plan that you need to reach out to organizations in your jurisdiction to talk to them and see what they think about it and how it's going to be affecting them. And uh, in Orange County, California, we work really close with the Dale McIntosh Center and, and having them sit down and talk about how those things are, are working for them. I was going to ask you about the BCID versus Bloomberg case, but you kind of went over it. But I think that's one of those wake-up calls for everybody uh, that we need to be really looking at that. And you're absolutely right. I didn't even think about this, Kelly, until just now. You're right. The vulnerable populations are who we are serving in the case of a disaster because those with abilities and money can leave and do what they need to do. And it's everybody who's left behind that we need to worry about. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you know what you're telling your students is um, spot on, right? And, and you, you know, if you, you know, um, academia is essential to emergency management and, 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 you know, doing what you're doing so that, you know, so that the, the new guard can, can um, come in with, with that basis of knowledge. But, but it, you know, you, you, you know you're, you're absolutely right to push them out of the classroom. You can't leave it as an academic exercise. You have to get out there and you have to talk to those organizations that are working with those people. I mean, at the, the Red Cross was, a, was probably the toughest three years of my career, but they were also the, the most valuable because, you know, you, you, you can't, you know, uh, lots of, there's a lot of local emergency managers, there's a lot of state emergency managers and, 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 you know, at the federal level, and they all talk about mass care and they all talk about, you know, the underprivileged and, and, and the disabled and, and special needs. And, but, you know, being on the ground in the disaster zone face-to-face with that person and those families and those children, that's different, right? And, and unless you've done it, you know, you, you can talk about it, but you, you can't talk about it with enough authority to be as credible as you need to be. If you want credibility on that issue, you know, you've got to get your hands dirty. And I, and I, don't, I don't mean dirty in terms of, you know, those are dirty places. I just mean, you know, you've got to put your boots on and get into the field and you've got to understand how difficult it is, you know, working with, you know, uh, families that have been impacted by disaster, right? Because they, 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 it's not a normal thing, right? They're not, you know, they, 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 they sometimes can't even, 
think straight, right? They've been cast, you know, like it's, it's like, uh, you know, at the Red Cross, we went to residential building fires and, you know, okay, I, I, I went to work, my kids went to school, we came home and, and our house was burned to the ground and we lost everything. You know, and that's, you, you know, you can sit here and think about that as an academic construct and you can think, oh, that would be bad. But if you really think about what that would be like to lose everything like that, especially if you have no ability to, to, to get any of it back, you don't have any savings and, you know, it, it's, it's just devastating in a way that you can't, you, you, you know, if you're there with those families and you see what they're going through. I think those are important uh, experiences for emergency managers. It gives you empathy, right? It makes you work harder, right? I mean, if you're, if you're in an EOC, a windowless room, an EOC watching TV, you know, um, if you've been on the ground and you understand what's happening out there, you're, gonna, you're really going to work harder. You're going to break rules to help people. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's my main premise, you know, don't let, you know, don't let the, 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 the people with the, that control the, the money and don't let the, uh, you know, the managers that, that sit in the, you know, that sit in their carpeted offices who don't understand the business. Don't let them tell you what you can and can't do in the middle of the job. Cause if you have to break a rule to help somebody, then, you know, then, then you have to do it. And, and, you know, so that after the job, if they, if that same manager has you called you onto the carpet and, and said, you know, what the heck do you think you're doing breaking that rule? You know, you can say, Hey, you know, uh, I did it. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to face whatever consequence you want to fire me for helping a family in a disaster. Then that's the way it's going to go. You know, you, you sort of, you sort of wear it as a badge of honor. That is so true. That is 100% true. Um, you know, kind of coming back to two things. One is we talk about disasters being local, and that is so 100% true. Uh, you know, we heard from uh, Administrator Long talking about how, you know, they're there to support. Uh, FEMA doesn't come in on the white horse to, to save everybody. Craig Fugate has talked about the fact that FEMA is just a, a, back, a backup, basically, writing a check uh, to the local emergency manager. I want to I want to expand upon the concept of disasters being local, and to the idea of resiliency being local, and that as emergency managers we need to get into the community, and get into as Anna Cave calls them the critter clubs, get into the chamber of commerces and talk to them about what it is as an emergency manager, what they can do, and to really be engaged in the community. What do you think? that we should do as emergency managers to really engage our community members that we're here to serve during a disaster? Yeah, well, that's the right question. And, and um, a lot of it comes down to bandwidth. You know, I mean, you know, when I talk to local emergency managers around the country, I always ask the same question, you know, how many people in your office? And they'll always say, oh, it's this many or it's this. And, I, and then I say, how many full-time people whose job, who, whose title includes emergency manager and who do nothing but emergency management full-time. And that number, you know, almost always shrinks to one or two. And, and so, you know, the number of hats that a, that a local emergency manager has to wear is, you know, prevents a lot of real progress on resilience. And it's my, it's, it's, it, I think it's our biggest problem. It's, it's part of, part of um, you know, one of the things I talked about in the book, which is the you know, all disasters are local, the ADAL index, right? Um, but, you know, it's, um, there's one, there, there's, there's one concept that I um, think is, is key for 
an emergency manager in the United States. And that is that, you know, you live, you don't live in the richest country in the world. You, you live in the richest country in the history of the world, right? You live in a place where resource rich is an understatement, right? And so, you know, the, the, so, so that is actually in some ways your biggest problem. Why is it your biggest problem? Because, you know, if you get, if you get into a job where you're like, I didn't have the resources, you know, um, that is not a credible excuse. You cannot, with a straight face, say I didn't have the resources in the United States of America. Because the, the truth is, you have the resources. The, the, the truth is, you were unable to get the resources from where they were to where they were needed in time. And that's your job as an emergency manager. So that becomes almost a, a, a potential tragedy in that, you know, you have people that needed stuff and you couldn't figure out where it was and, and, and to get it where, uh, where it's needed. And that's the, the breaking the rules thing, right? And so that, that to me is, you know, probably our most fundamental um, weakness as an industry is that we live in, in such a, in a, in a resource-saturated environment but we can't um, we can't get to a lot of stuff because especially if you're if you if you're a, if you're a government emergency manager you've got procurement rules and and you know you've got your you've got your logistics section and it's usually a person or maybe half a person and all of a sudden you're going to flip that switch and you're going to be able to be you know to have the capability of a Google or a or a, a, a or a UPS or a FedEx and 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 move stuff from point A to point B you know hundreds and thousands of things all at the same time so. So it's, it's, you know, that, that's the, the issue. And, and what does it take to fix that issue? It takes, it takes time and it takes focused energy. It takes people and it takes emergency managers. And so, you know, if, you know, every local emergency management agency needs a minimum of seven people full-time, everyone, bar none, there's not an exception in the United States. Everyone needs seven. So if you've got four, because you're maybe even a big, you're a big county somewhere and you've got full four four full-time emergency managers and your boss is like, what are you doing with all those people? You know, you're going to say, well, I'm three short boss, you know, because I have to build my ability to reach into every potential source of resources in this County and in this state and every surrounding state and every state in the lower 48 and then into Canada and Mexico, if, if the worst case happens. So, you know, that, that's a, you know, it, it, it's pretty daunting and it's pretty scary, right? But it's, it's the fact. I mean, at the end of the day, your boss is like, well, what do I pay you for? I pay you to get the stuff wh where it's needed, when it's needed. That's so, so true. Oh, man. Yeah, those conversations are – I have never walked into an emergency management agency where they're like, ah, oh, we got extra people floating around. You know, there's always something going on. There's always a plan that's being reviewed, written, or there's always a meeting that they have to go to. And I think that's one of the things that we do do wrong. Um, when we just going back to the whole meeting thing is as emergency managers, specifically, you know, in the jurisdiction where I live and, and, and work, that we, we go to meetings a lot, but we meet with ourselves, right? We're meeting with other emergency <laughs> managers. We're meeting with, with fire. We're meeting with police. Yeah. You know, we're meeting with elected officials, the grand jury comes out and takes a look at our EOCs, you know, everybody who's sort of on the same page. And, and, and we talk, we pat each other on the back a lot, you know, ah, oh, yeah, you did great. You know, you did, you did great. I, I, I don't remember the last time that I, I actually sat down and with 
a group of people who didn't know what we were doing and were like and, and trying to educate them. I'm outside of like where you go to community meetings and talk. But I'm just they sat down and had like true meeting and to, to really kind of push the ball forward with community preparedness. Because that's one of the things we always talk about. How do we prepare our community? We try to do things that I think are easy and comfortable. And we don't get uncomfortable sometimes. I think we need to get uncomfortable. Because the job, the disaster is 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 gonna be, you know, uncomfortable is the is the key, right? It's going to be um, painful. And, and, and that's, the, that's the whole premise of the book. I mean, the book's called Moment of Truth, right? And, <laughs> and Moment of Truth is a painful moment. It's a, it's a very, you know, and to me, the, the moment of truth for an emergency manager is, okay, you know, you, you've, you've been working somewhere and you've been writing plans and you've been having those meetings and you're, <laughs> Todd, you are so right, man. You're, you're, you've been having those meetings and talking to the same people, you know, that, no, that, 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 you know, saying, you know, the same old stuff. Uh, and then here it is. Here's the job. Here's the big disaster. And, and so, you know, the, the, the boss walks in, you know, the, the local elected official or whoever is the, the, the boss for the whole deal. You know, you're, you know, they, so, so there's a big conference room that the boss uses that you're, you're, you're in once in a while and they, nobody pays attention to you. But now, uh, you know, they usher you in and there's a, there's a chair right, right, in, right at the head of the table and the light uh, shining on it, you know, a spotlight, and they're putting you right there, and everybody's waiting for you to tell them, you know, what, what are we doing? Like, and so that's the moment of truth. That's your job. That's what you, that, your job is to prepare for that moment. Because if you walk in there and you say, hey, yeah, you know, um, this, is, this is bad. I'm telling you, we, um, we got a few things we could do right now. We were thinking about doing this, you know, what do you guys think about that? Or we were thinking about, we're thinking about doing that or, Oh, you know, and then somebody is, I just walking in the door. Someone said, why don't we do this? So, so that's job failure. That'll be your last day on the job, right? Because you, you know, if you do that, you have to walk in there and you have to talk about all of the things that are already happening, right? The dozens and dozens and dozens of things that are already happening because you've put into place. And why did you put them into place? Because you had that checklist of those first steps that everybody learned and, and so they didn't even have to get activated. They're already running. So, you, you know, you're going to talk about all the stuff that's already happening now. And uh, all people want to hear is what isn't happening that needs to happen and when is that going to happen? <laughs> you know, that's what the boss wants to hear. So, so I've been in that room many times, with, in, 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 especially with the mayor. And, you know, it's, and a lot of times, it, you know, you have, you have those ma- major agencies and they're like, you know, boss, we're doing this and we got this many crews in and we're doing that and we're doing this. And the, and, and the boss waits for you to stop. And he's like, okay, you're telling me you guys are doing everything you can. You're telling me you're working really hard out there. Yes. Well, that's good because if, if you weren't, I, I'd fire you all. I just want to know what we're not doing. Okay. And then somebody has to tell me when we're going to do those things. That's all I want to know. What, what are we not doing? And when are we going to be done doing those things? And that's the moment of truth. That's what you got to be ready for. And, and there's a lot of work to get there. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end of the interview here, and I don't want to keep you much too longer. But the uh, question here is, what book? And I know we're, we're talking about the moment of truth. I've already recommended that, so you can't choose that one. So what book, books, publication would you recommend to somebody in emergency management? So, you know, um, I would recommend the, um, the, the books that are – in my book, which are, uh, you know, Black Swan 
teams um, that general uh, general McChrystal's book about about uh, how he turned around um, you know the the the, uh, the war in Iraq and um, and and because I think a team of teams is just an EOC it, it's just a, it's just another word for EOC and uh, and then also uh, uh, actually uh, uh, Mr. DeVoe uh, you may know today uh, the 26th of January, the year 1700, um, is 319 years ago, a, um, a, a massive earthquake struck uh, the, uh, Vancouver Island, and it was the, when the, the San Juan de Fuca uh, fault jumped about 20 meters in the air and caused a, a magnitude 9 earthquake that ripped a 600-mile hole in the Earth's crust, and, uh, and then there was a, a, a tsunami after that. So there's an article called The Really Big One. It's uh, Catherine, um, Catherine Schultz, and July 20, 2015, The Really Big One. It's, a, it's an amazing article. I, I mean, I remember when I read it, you know, I, I, I stopped everything, and I, and I, you know, locked the door, and I just sat there in amazement because it's just – such a fantastic scenario, um, but read the really big one. And it's 319 years old, that job. And the problem is that it's supposed to happen once every 500 years. So 319 years into a 500-year cycle means we're due. And to me, that's the job. I mean, you know, you want to worry about a job, that's the one you should worry about. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that one in the... Uh uh, you know, the, the, the idea that the Super Volcano is going to pop off someday, you know, so those two things are, are the ones that we really yeah. should, should be considering. Exactly. Uh, okay, so if you're speaking to all the emergency managers in the world at one time, what would you like to say to them? I would say to them, um, have courage and be fierce and break all the rules. And if, if after the disaster, uh, you don't get into trouble because of all the rules you broke, then you were too timid. That is wonderful advice. That really is. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, let's get you back on here sometime again. I appreciate it, Todd. Great talking to you, man.